you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning. I am one of the leaders of this church, and I have the privilege to, uh, 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 monthly to be able to share the word. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for that. Um, we are continuing in our series, Great Faith. We've been doing this. Uh, this is week five of Great Faith, and uh, hopefully I'm excited to share this uh, this week because uh, God has really been speaking to me this past two weeks, and it's uh, uh, so sit back and uh, hope you're blessed with this one. So Great Faith. Pastor Mark last week uh, talked about how to, de- how to develop great faith. And the three points he made is we develop our great faith. We do not start with great faith. Okay, Years is taken. Experiences, that's one of his points. It's through experiencing God that great faith is developed. Another way that uh, great faith is developed is by hearing the word of God. And then, of course, point three that Pastor Mark made was that avoiding the dangers it's uh, taking too much responsibility, comparing yourself to others who are already either in a good way or in a bad way, and then trying or trying to live life in the now that you want this great faith now. You want what you're believing for now, okay? So that's what uh, Pastor Mark was talking about last week. So today, in week five, we're going to talk about the life of Moses, or not really a, his entire life. His entire life is uh, contained in four books of the Bible. It'll take us probably two years to go through all of that. So I won't keep you there for that long. I'll, I'll keep it to 30 minutes. Okay? But Moses is one of the most celebrated men in the Bible of the Old Testament. In fact, the, the Hebrew Bible is divided into three. And one of them is the Torah or the five books, the first five books. The two is the, the poets and the three is the, or the third one is the, the prophecies. So today, we're going, to look about, we're going to look at the great faith of Moses. So just to give you a background, Moses lived in the time when the children of Israel were in Egypt. The, they were brought there because, uh, because God had a plan to save them. So Joseph was sent ahead, uh, sent ahead of time. Can you guys hear me? I feel like I'm low. You guys, you guys are good? Okay. So Joseph was sent ahead of time. And then 430 years later, they're still there. I don't think that was God's plan, but it did say until the fullness of the Gentile comes. So it was probably God's plan. So then when Joseph died, the king that, uh, that was after him did not know him anymore. So the children of Israel grew so much that the, that the king feared them that they might allied with their enemy. So what did the king do? He said, Kill all the male babies that will be born of the Hebrew women. And that's where the life of Moses begins. In verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says that by faith, his parents hid him because he was a beautiful baby. They did not fear the command of the king. So that in itself tells us that the parents, uh, Moses's, Moses's parents are godly people. Okay. So now, uh, Hebrews 11, chapter 24, go ahead and show that. This is going to be our main text for today, just this two. Since we're talking about faith, faith is the confidence, it is the assurance, it is the certainty that we have within us to, uh, to look at hope, which is the future. And hope is what? A happy expectation of good. Or, uh, or in, sh- in another way that I've uh, praised it is hope is the confident expectation that what God promised he would do, he would do. So faith is always based on the promises of God. 
Okay? So here, let's just go ahead and read our main text. It says in verse 24 of chapter 11, it says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing fleshers of sin. So it says here that he, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses... When he was a child, because his parents did not fear the command of the king, kept him alive. But after, I think it was after three months, they could not hide him anymore. They sent him up, made an ark, put him on the river, and he ended up with the Paris daughter. So Moses grew up at the palace, okay? He grew up in the palace. He grew up knowing the pagan gods of the Egyptian. He grew up in the Egyptian lifestyle. He grew up in the way of the, of the Egyptian. In Acts, it even tells us that Moses was learned in the Egyptian. He was educated by the Egyptian. He was mighty in word and in speech. That's, that's how Moses grew up. He grew up in the palace. He knew. But yet also, if you look at verse 25, it says that that lifestyle is described as a passing pleasure of sin. Okay? Get that. So that's how he grew up. But yet it says here that he refused. When he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Paris' daughter. A life of luxury, a life of privilege, a life of comfort. Now, if truth be told, I think most of us, this is what we want in life. Isn't it not? Isn't, isn't it that way? When we travel, we want to get the first class. Though we cannot afford it, we, we settle for the economy. But in our hearts, it's like, oh, I hope I get bumped up. Oh, I hope I get bumped up. Isn't it? Because we want that comfort. We want that lifestyle. I mean, uh, if you drive a Guam bomb, you can turn it into an atomic bomb. Some detailer says that. But anyway, when we find, <laughs> this is me, but uh, I'm one of those who's guilty. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I always complain to my wife because uh, when we park and say we park uh, next to big trucks, it's like, man, look at this truck. It's so big. And then my wife would say, like, you don't have one. It's like, uh, I don't mean to offend those who have a big truck, okay? But isn't it, when we look at the, we look at the things that others have inside, we're, we kind of feel jealous and we kind of feel like, oh, man, uh, uh, you know, there's that, that's that longing inside. And, and then we, we say it out in a way like, who can buy, who would buy a $68,000 truck? It's like, uh, Ford sells one for 80000 so be wise, go to money life, Okay. <laughs> Because go to money life. But, but the point is, if truth be told, within us, there's that desire to live that life. A life of luxury, a life of comfort, a life where everything is brought to us. Isn't it? Comfortable life. And yet, here's Moses. Moses was living that life. He's enjoying that life. But yet, what did it say? He refused that life. He refused to be the son of of Paris' daughter, and what did he choose? He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. What do you think? I mean, who in their right mind would do this? Moses did, okay? We should also. What? Why? Well, I guess uh, all the question is what? Or why? Why would he do it? Okay, why would he do it? So we're gonna, we're gonna, that's, that's what we're gonna find out today. Why would he do that? Now, moving on, in how do we grow in great faith? 
So it's by faith Moses did that. He refused. Okay, so it was by faith that he refused. So in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, this is familiar because uh, you've been hearing this. It says that faith comes by hearing. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I just told you that a while ago. That's one of the ways we develop faith. And here's a story in, in, a story in Mark chapter 5, verse uh, uh, story of Mark chapter 5 and verse 27, it says uh, here that there was a woman who had an issue of blood, and she tried all the positions of her days, but instead of getting better, she got worse. And then all of a sudden, um, 27 says this, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. It didn't say what she heard about Jesus. All it says is that she heard about Jesus. But since we have read the gospel, then we can assume, and, we, and most likely it is, that what she heard about Jesus was a good thing. Would you agree with me? And what did she do? She said that she touched, uh, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. That's what she said. If only I can touch his garment, then I should be healed. And she did that. And immediately she was healed. And Jesus turned around because Jesus felt the power released from him. And, and Jesus looked to the crowd and said, who touched me? His disciples said, Lord, everybody's clamoring on you. What do you mean, who touched you? And there's a point to be made there. Everybody was clamoring. Everybody was touching him. Yet, only this woman was healed. And then, what did the, and then finally, the woman identified herself. And this is what Jesus said. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. She heard about Jesus. Faith rose up from within her. And Jesus himself said, I command you, my daughter, your faith has made you well. So if faith comes by hearing, going back to Moses, go back to 1124, uh, please, our main text. So going back to Moses, if faith rises up from what we hear, so the question now is, what did Moses hear? What did Moses hear for? <laughs> I was telling my wife, man, for one week, God just keeps bringing me back to this question. I thought I got it. What did Moses hear? I almost felt like, I almost felt God was saying, come on, Armin, what did Moses hear? Come on, Armin, what did Moses hear? This is all, the whole week, this is, this is the one question that keeps ringing in my mind. What did Moses hear that faith rose up from within and he was able to refuse the lifestyle of the Egyptian. What did he hear? I'm just checking if you guys can hear it. <laughs> Last year, we had a series of unwavering. And it was about who? Abraham. The fate of Abraham. What was one verse that we repeated over and over and over again? Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. God promised Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. Those that bless you will be blessed, and those that curse you will be cursed. And you will be a blessing to the whole entire world. Who is Moses? Moses is a descendant of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Levi, Levi. I forgot. I don't know his father's name later on. Then Moses. Moses was belonged to the people of God. That same promise that was given to Abraham 
is the same promise that Moses heard. A promise that God said, I will make you into a great nation. I will make you into a great name. So what Moses heard was that he heard a great identity. An identity greater than to become the son of Paris' daughter. Did you get that, church? That's what he heard. All this time, God keeps saying, what did he hear? What did he hear? Moses heard the identity that God gave to them. The great promise that God gave to his descendants, to Abraham, his forefather. And then finally, it dawned in him that though he, belonged, he, he was raised up in the lifestyle of the Egyptian, he refused it because down in his heart, faith rose up and he realized that I can be the son of the Paris daughter and I can die as the son of the Paris daughter. But I can never be a great nation if I stay here. And if he would have stayed there, the Bible would have been written another way. Amen? So what is that great identity? We have preached on this before. Uh, AJ preached on this. Pastor Mark has preached on this. Just to refine this in 1 Peter, uh, Peter 2.9, it's about the, the, the identity of Israel, which is, you shall be to me a, a holy nation, a chosen generation, and a royal priesthood. Can you go ahead and show the next slide? This is coming from Exodus chapter 19, uh, verse 5 and 6. This is already when they were in the desert, and God confirmed it to Moses when he said, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. A special people, okay? A chosen generation, chosen gen. That's where we get the, the name of our, our younger group, chosen gen. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Let's take a look at that for a moment. That's the identity that God spoke over the nation of Israel, the people of God. They said, you shall be a chosen generation. Why? Because in the times of Abraham, of all the people that was living on the earth, God chose Abraham. Of all the people, God chose Abraham. It could have gone any other way. He could have chosen a Chamorro, but he did not. He could have chosen a Filipino, but he did not. Uh, back then, it was still what? European? Or I don't know. Not, of course, America wasn't there yet. Okay? He could have chosen a race from the East, the Chinese, the Korean. He could have chosen anybody. But God chose Abraham out of all the people. And that's why that's his identity. He was a chosen. He was chosen by God. It says, they, I will make you into a, a, a nation of priests. Priest always talks about closeness to God. That's the representation of a priest. There's always a closeness to God. Priest represents closeness. It says, I will, uh, I will make you into a, a holy nation, a separated nation. You will not look like the other nations around you. That's what holy, holy means, just to be separated. God will put some, uh, I, will, I will make sure that you will not look like the other nation. That's what God was saying. That was the identity that God was giving the nation of Israel. They were chosen. They were a priesthood. They were a holy nation. But, here's the but. But I am convinced that as great as those, those are also, we embrace those identity as Christians, as believers, we embrace that identity. But I am convinced 
that there is a first and foremost identity that we have as Christians that I believe is even far greater than this. This, this identity complements that identity, okay? And I believe that's the identity the, that we as believers should, uh, uh, I guess, since I'm convinced, I'm gonna try to convince you. Okay, let's put it that way. I'm convinced that we have a first and foremost identity and yes, we can embrace that we are chosen. We got a chosen gen. We are a priesthood. We got closeness to God. We're separated. We should not look the same as the outside. We should, be, uh, we should stand out. That's what it's, it's saying. So what is this identity that we should, that is our first and foremost identity? And I think this came in a way of a question that my wife asked me last week. She was asking me, I don't know why, but then it, it, it kind of uh, gave a revelation to me. She asked me this question. Let me ask it. Let me ask you guys. How did Adam address God? How did Adam address God? How did, what did Adam call God? So I said, well, Adam can only address God according to who he is to God. That was my answer. So that means, who is Adam to God? Adam was the, what, the first creation. He was a created being. So therefore, Adam must have, or well, the Bible does say that Adam would always call God, God, okay? Which means translated Elohim, the God of power, the God of authority, the God of might, the creator God. So that's how Adam would address God, the Elohim. And so did Enoch, week two. And so did Noah, week three. They address God as the God, the God of power, the God of might. Then, and since I started there, then that means Abraham addressed God differently. How did Abraham address God? Well, in Exodus, it says that uh, uh, God told Moses that I, re I, re I rebuild myself to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob as the El Shaddai, the, the almighty God. Then that means that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob addressed God as the El Shaddai the Almighty God. But then it shifted when it came to Moses. Moses, and God revealed himself differently to Moses. He said, I am the great I am. I am the Yahweh. So now Moses addressed, him, addressed God differently. He addressed him as Yahweh. And so did the descendants after Moses. David, Solomon, all the, all the, all the prophets of the Old Testament, they addressed God as Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Because God made a covenant with Abraham, and he kept it all throughout the generation. Even the 12 disciples, before the cross, they addressed God as the Yahweh. And that's why the Pharisees were so mad. Okay? And why? So then the question now is, so how do we address him? Well, we addressed him according to who we are to him. Are you getting me? And this is going to be, the, and, and that's why I said, I am convinced this is our first and foremost identity. It's because we have been given a right on how to address him. Now, of course, uh, the gospel tells us that the throne of God is established in justice and righteousness. And because it is established in justice and righteousness, every one of us falls short of that. We all are sinners. Okay? We all sin. El, Elmore earlier, pretty much uh, uh, the entire gospel was laid out. 
So we were all sinners. And in the book of Romans, it tells us that because we are all sinners, what do we deserve? We deserve death. But God, not willing that everyone should perish, what did he do? He sent his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If our sins is to be judged according to the righteousness and the justice of God, none of us can stand before God. None of us. None of us. It doesn't matter what you're thinking of. It doesn't matter how righteous you think. Your righteousness, according to Isaiah, will be like a filthy rag. Even Paul understood that, where he said, I take on the righteousness of God, and I do not try to establish my own righteousness. And that was the fault of his own brothers, that they tried to establish their own righteousness. So if sin were to be judged according to, to, uh, accordingly, then none of us can stand before God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even though we were dead in trespass, made us alive together with Christ. It says here that when the fullness of time has come, Jesus, the very Son of God, came down. Came down, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he can redeem those under the law. And in him, this is the gospel message, and in him, because we cannot pay for our own sin. Pastor Mark cannot pay for your own sin, I'm sorry. I cannot pay for your sin. Well, anybody, you cannot pay for your own sin, and nobody can pay for, for somebody else's sin. It needed a perfect one to pay for our sin. And it was Jesus. And, that, and Jesus went to that cross. You've heard it earlier. Because our sins, our sins need to be punished so that we can come to God. Jesus took upon our sin. He took our sin. He took the condemnation of our sin. He took the shame of our sin. He took the judgment of our sin. And he placed it upon Christ himself. And there the judgment and the punishment was put on him. That's what Jesus did. And sometimes we stop there. But don't stop there. He died. He was buried. But when he was raised back up, it says in, it says in my Bible. Okay? I don't know. It probably does say in your Bible too. But it says in my Bible. That even though when we were dead in trespass, he made us alive together with Christ. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Our sins was placed upon him. Judgment, punishment was, uh, was there. He died, but when he was raised up, we were also raised up in him. Amen. See, there's a lot of passages in the Bible where it talks about the great exchange. Where it, like for example, it says, Jesus became poor for us so that we can be rich. He became sin for us so that we can be righteous. He took the judgment so that fear can be taken, so that we can have peace. He took the shame and he gave us his honor. When we were raised up in him, we were raised up in the very, I say, essence of who he is. And who is Jesus Christ to God? You know, I just got this this morning. As Elmer was saying, um, uh, the great love of God, I will answer that question, bro, in a little bit. Okay? 
How deep is the love of God? I will answer that question in a little bit. But while we were just worshiping earlier, uh, uh, God just showed me this. When Jesus came, he came as a son of man. Came as a son of man because he needs to redeem what man made the mistake on the garden, in one garden. And that's why he died also as a son of man, so that we can have back the authority that God gave uh, Adam. That's what Robin was talking about last week. But when he came on earth, John, the writer of John and the writer of Revelation, he got a revelation which he wrote in Revelation where it says when he was in heaven, he saw the angels worshiping 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 24-7. That's what the, the apostle John saw in heaven when he had that, um, that uh, uh, dream, vision, uh, revelation. Then God just showed me when, when my son left heaven, heaven became quiet. God's beloved son who he said, while Jesus was on earth, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When he left heaven, the focus of God was concentrated on earth because his beloved son was there. All the angels stopped singing and all their eyes were on earth. Why? Because Jesus was on earth. Heaven became quiet for 33 years because the beloved Son of God was on earth. I was like, I just had to pause for a while. I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, how, I don't know what else to say. It's like, <laughs> okay, God. The beloved Son of God came, abandoned his heavenly position, came down as a son of man so that he can redeem man from their sin. But one thing he never lost, one title or one position he never lost, that he was always the beloved son of God. And when he was raised up from the dead because sin was taken care of, now we can also be raised up from the dead. We were also risen up in him in that essence that we now become also and accepted, and that's what it says in Ephesians, that we also can become the beloved Son of God. Now show 1 John 3, 1. This is how great the love of God is. It says, this is coming from the NIV, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is what we are. Because all our sins was taken care of. When, we were, when Jesus was raised up, we were raised up in him. Now you may say, yeah, I've heard that before. You might have heard this before, but let me show you what I got. Let me tell you what I got. We have such a great privilege to be called children of God. You know why? Because Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, and all the prophets never had the privilege to call God Father. Never. You and I have been given a privilege to call the Almighty God, the creator of the universe, the Elohim as Father. Show them the next slide, please. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his own son into our hearts. And that's why we can also call out the way Jesus called out to his father, Abba, Father. Not just a child of God, but the word Abba, interestingly, they never translated that into English 
because they wanted to keep the, that treasure of just how the Jewish children will call their father Abba because it is a, it is a, a, a dear term that they would use. They call, I think they call their mother Ima. And uh, correct me if, uh, if you're Hebrew here, please. <laughs> Ima, I think. And the father is Abba. That's what it is. We have this such great privilege to be called children of God because none of the men of the Old Testament had that privilege. As great as Enoch was, as great as Noah was, I mean, they all have their titles. It says that Noah was what? A herald, uh, uh, a herald for righteousness, uh, correct? Abraham was called a friend of God. David was called a man after his own heart. Moses, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that there has, ever since then, there has never risen a prophet like Moses, whom God knew face to face, whom God would speak to plainly as a friend would speak to a man. But yet, still God calls him a servant, but not you and I. God calls us children of God. And church, it is such a great privilege. I, I'm blown away just hearing it. I'm blown away just receiving it that the creator of the universe, that even as close as he was to Adam, as close as he was to Abraham, a friend of God, and sometimes we, we look at that. We look, oh, I, I wish I can be like Abraham, a friend of God. Church, you have a better standing than Abraham. You are the child of the living God. Peter was given that revelation from the Father. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Church, because of Jesus, we have this great identity. And that's how great the love of the Father was. Is that nobody else in history had that great privilege. It says the right. I'm, I'm probably even quoting it wrong. I say privilege, but it says he gave him the right to be called children of God. We are living in such a, a demonstration of the love of God. He's never given this to anybody else, but only to that generation after the cross. Amen? Amen. And I think I'm done. <laughs> Amen? Let's just go ahead and pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that we have the right to be called children of God. Thank you for allowing Jesus to come, allowing your beloved one to come to earth so that we can also go to heaven. And Lord, thank you for what you're doing right now. Thank you for what you're done right now. Lord, we praise you. We give you thanks. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Amen.